It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I'm delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. <laughs> By the time you're listening to this, September will just a stone throw away. Just over the, just throw it over the next just hill. One more Welcome sleep. back to the Book Riot podcast. One more sleep. How many sleep and get ups is it until um, <laughs> we go? The, the childhood unit of, of existence, sleep and get ups. Um, <laughs> welcome back, Rebecca. We're doing news this week. We just yesterday recorded a show uh, and uh, our, our fall preview, which you can look forward to now because it'll come out on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, after you're listening to this, um, coming up after that, deals, deals, deals. I almost spoiled one for you in the pre-show. <sighs> we were talking about a topic, and there's something I wanted to mention, but I realize it's going to make it onto the oh, deal, good. deals. Oh, I'll, good. Uh, I'll try to keep myself pure still for the next week. <laughs> I'm trying to give the the readers a tease, but I realize I just ended up teasing you. That's not fair. That's, <laughs> that's not how this goes. It's all right. Um, today we're talking about kind of the last exhale a book news from mm. the summertime. Things really start picking up, uh, as you'll hear us talk about, um, on September 1st, a deluge of new releases, and we can talk about sales and everything else that goes into it. But for now, we're kind of we're kind of rolling out. The Sunday afternoon of the year <laughs> is August, and here we are at the end of that Sunday afternoon. We're in our we're in our post dinner aperitif on the Sunday afternoon of the year. Welcome to the show. Um, before we get into the new news, I had really interesting listener feedback um, about a story we followed off and on for a while. Uh, most of you heard my, and I think Rebe- Rebecca shared consternation of the future library. Do you remember the future library, Rebecca? Oh, yeah. Vanessa and I talked about it last week because... Um, oh, you talked about yeah. it last... Oh, that's what yes, this follow Yeah, for. because yes, Ocean yes, yes, Vuong yes, yes. is now involved as well. And yeah, we right, made our right. predictably confused but interested but kind of angry that we won't ever get to read the things noises. That's right. I am behind on my own show. So that shows... <laughs> but So this is feedback for that show. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how it came up and I assumed there was something related to it. But um, uh, this is from Nora who is who works at the main library in Oslo <gasps> where the future library manuscripts will be kept for the next 94 years. Oh my gosh. So she That's really she cool. Wrote, <laughs> she wrote in some things um, that I thought would be fun to pass along. Uh, the handover ceremony is special and very atmospheric in the woods, but alas, no special roads, <laughs> I guess, is something that you guys maybe we uh, we maybe imagined a whole, you know, cloak and dagger ritual. <laughs> yeah. Um Nosgard is the first author to hand over a manuscript that's going to be in September. There's travel restrictions. So as soon as he can travel from London where he lives, um, Ocean Vong's manuscript we presented in May of 2021. Uh, she provided some links I will put in the show notes where there's some short movies made um, about the authors and text going in. Alif Shafak, the mm-hmm. Turkish authors, and Han Kong's um, are going to be in there. Uh She's she she says she seems she she is uh, encouraged by the survivability prospects okay. of these. Um, the, the the it is owned by an Oslo commune, 
in the capital of Norway. The main library has a dedicated room called the Silent Room. If you're reading in the Silent Room of the Future Library, you really are in a Borges short story <laughs> at that point. Is the commune um, accepting new members, though? <laughs> yeah, and you can go in and walk around and look at the manuscripts, like closed apparently, but you can't read them to contemplate time passing. Turns out we're all going to die, Rebecca, and we're <laughs> going to remind ourselves <laughs> Yeah, you know, Vanessa and I got in a little bit of a dark place last week wondering about, like, will we even exist in 100 years for anyone to dig these manuscripts out and read them? Um, yeah. But I believe yeah. that commune sounds like a lovely place to try to weather the next century. I do feel there is a, um, like, a, I don't even know who's a good candidate for this short story. Borges is not speculative enough and dead um, to write a new one. But like the, the, the sisters of the commune guarding the future library, I feel like that's yeah, a, it's a Lois Lowry, kind of the giver adjacent kind of a text. It somewhere feels like a um, Karen Russell mm. or a Laura Vandenberg or um, who's the other short story. They speculative, writer. Like, they do future speculation like that. I know they do. Anyway, they, yeah, it, they do like there's a, someone out there like, that wants yeah, to write just this. a little tick off. Um, or Kelly Link, mm-hmm. Kelly Link is who I want to write this story. That's pretty good yeah. too. Um, so anyway, that's that's some more news around this. Uh, she does say she is also a bit disappointed, but you know, likes the idea of the project. Good on you. This is the opposite of make hay while the sun shines. Is this uh, <laughs> whatever this future library is? Um, yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm having like. Um, I don't know if it's like reverse starstruckness or something, but I'm not quite believing that we actually like have a listener who happens to work at the library that's connected to this. That's very cool. And thank you for emailing us, Nora. Yeah. Um, I like the project more just because Nora wrote to us. Absolutely. I guess is what I'm saying. I still don't like it. I feel... In all fairness. I do feel good having been encouraged by someone on the inside about the survivability prospects like that that is one of i'm sad that i won't get to read these pieces i'm mm-hmm. very curious about it but i do hope that someone will and i like the ideas that are behind this what a, hi- a heist story a oh heist story of people stealing the books out of the future library because who would know you just replace them with blanks they're not going to know you stole it for 100 years oceans 11 but in the future library in the future, like very quiet heist. That's all. Most heists turn out. You need to be quiet. A very um, quiet heist. <laughs> uh, let's do a sponsor, and then we'll come back. It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR, and I am delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. Okay. Um, we didn't talk. Did we? We talked about not talking about the Enola Holmes trailer on Yesterday, the yeah. show. You're going to be released Wednesday. <laughs> we will now talk about it 
in more fullness because I think we're excited about this. It's, we, the Enola Holmes trailer came it's out. It's so tell, tell charming. Millie Bobby Brown as Enola Holmes, the sister of Sherlock. Like she just, I mean, she's just charming as all get out and great and funny and has such a wonderful sense of herself and comedic timing, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Helena Bonham Carter as her mother, like Helena Bonham Carter has dialed it in that her lane is wearing Victorian dresses and wielding swords. And like, she's just great at it. I was very happy yeah. to see that. The soundtrack is great. Like there's this wonderful super I mean, like super fun whole song from the 90s called Celebrity yes. Skin that kicks in during the trailer at the moment where Enola Holmes is getting a makeover. And I just like I loved everything about it. It's like two and a half minutes that are making me very excited to watch an entire movie, which is the first time I've had that feeling about a trailer in a while. It just looks like so much fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, Henry Cavill ain't bad either. <laughs> it's uh, fine looking Holmes I mean I think immediately rockets to the um, the power rankings of the most uh, visually attractive Holmes is I mean the character itself for reasons I think I understand no matter who you cast in it there's there's a there's a sex appeal to Holmes there's the, the, the aloofness the intelligence the composure is all very attractive and then you throw on the physical specimen that is Henry Cavill and you really got a message there I was so surprised I've only seen Millie Bobby Brown of course in Stranger Things in which she's great and then like the Godzilla movie which she's also fine but that's not it let's that's not an actor's medium those yeah. Godzilla movies let's put it that way and here just from the trailer she's very working very broadly mm-hmm. comedic timing she's talking into the camera a lot breaking the fourth wall um, it's very physical. There's fighting and comedic humor. And again, the trailers always look better than the movie ever turns out to be. But just from that little, very um, small piece, just looks like a winning performance from her. And this isn't an original idea necessarily like to, to expand the Holmes universe. We've talked about the Sherry Thomas books before in which Sherlock Holmes is actually a woman taking on the personality so that she can do her, you know, apply mm-hmm. her trade because of the sexism of the time. This also is set in the Victorian times and plays with in and around and on top of the, the structure of Victorian ideals about gender. Um, and I think a way that works, Helena Bonham Carter doing that thing she does, which is like <laughs> manic pixie goth witch. Like, is that what Helena Bonham <laughs> yes, Carter is, I think, yes. at this point? <laughs> that is exactly um, You know, her Bellatrix Lestrange is very much in mm-hmm. that mold. This seems to be in it. Her Fight Club performance is very much in this mold, which I like, yeah. I, I should yes. say. The Manic Pixie Dream Girl is a, a trope um, uh, and, you know, uh, an essentialism and one that you don't like to see. But whatever she's doing, I'm buying in that kind of a performance. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope it becomes a series. It, it's rated PG-13. I was, I was looking at it, wondering if my kids, who are seven and nine, I think they could probably watch it. They're not going to cuss. I mean, there's going to be some violence. Like Marvel Avengers is Mm PG-13. I'd expect it to be sort of in that realm if you're wondering about watching with your family. And it probably won't be as scary as those can be. No, no, no. I mean, this this is no spoiler, but like the setup is um, Millie Bobby, Enola has been basically raised by her mom, by herself out in the country, according to their own. Um, what's the the Vonnegut uh, this right this, uh, uh, an empire of two right <laughs> their own their own little universe right and then her mom disappears and Enola has to engage with the outer world and part of the fun is seeing her try to navigate the social and cultural world f- with which she is unfamiliar kind of like in the Wonder Woman movie where um, Gal um, or, um, Diana has to go you know off their mascara and engage with the early 20th century world and wear dresses and what's this and you can't even fight in the skirt. Um, and there's some there's some good stuff there. Looking forward to it. This is the this is we have talked about this 
movie preemptively because this is the movie that prompted the Sherlock, the Conan Doyle estate to sue because Sherlock apparently has emotions in this movie. And the, the Sherlock Holmes stories that Conan Doyle wrote in which Sherlock Holmes has emotions mm-hmm. apparently are still under copyright. Um, again, it's absurd, but also kind of delightfully absurd, I think, <laughs> in a way that this thing gets adjudicated this way. Um, I think they're just mad that Henry Cavill now blows away any Sherlock Holmes that was ever under copyright, so they, they can't do it. All right, so there's that. Um, what do you... Oh, God, really? We have to go from that to the National Let's, Book Critics? Like, we can like, from the fun of that yeah, to, to this. We can take stuff. a breather first. Okay. Let's take a breather. News, news, Audible. I think this is interesting. We've wondered about this for a while. Yeah, Audible has launched a cheaper subscription plan for access to its podcasts and audio content. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. Audible Plus, seven ninety five a month. Um, and... That's the story. Uh, they That's have the story. Si- over 68,000 hours worth of content in its catalog um, from more than 11,000 works. Uh, mm. It's unclear still how that's going to work with like third party, how much of it is third party created content versus exclusive uh, Audible created Audible content. Um, yeah. And they're also consolidating mm. their gold and platinum plans into something that's called Audible Premium, which means that for fourteen ninety five a month, you'll gain access to the Audible catalog and one credit to be used for any content in the Audible library, regardless of price or length. Um, currently, platinum users receive two credits a month, and they're going to start receiving um, two of those at the twenty two ninety five a month price. Uh, so if you have an Audible mm. gold or platinum plan, you're going to be seeing, you know, some existing things there and some changes. Um, I'm curious about this and also just sort of like, well, OK, I guess, like yeah. um, in the same way that oh, what was it called? Luminary. It, it's, it is evidence of the problem that it took me a minute to remember the name uh, <laughs> of the Luminary podcast network that launched last year. I feel like uh, the appetite and willingness to pay a premium to get access to podcasts is just a really hard, that's a hard business to be in because so many of them are available for free or they're available, you know, as a, on Spotify, like you can listen to them for free, but if you have a paid Spotify account, you get, you know, all of the commercial free stuff and unlimited mm. listening. And it's just sort of rolled in there. The podcasts are part of that. I think it's a tough sell. Um, But it's interesting for Audible to do it now when they already have such a catalog of material rather than like launching from ground zero and trying to gain traction. So that's my take. Who's who's going to buy this that's not just doing an Audible like book a credit plan? I I don't, is someone out there like, you know, there's all this Audible content that I don't want to credit a month, but I'd love to pay seven bucks. To get all these, po- like, what's the most yeah. popular Audible exclusive I, thing? Like, what are what are people itching to get? Like, what's their, uh, you know, what's their Mandalorian? What's their Game of Thrones? What, what what's a thing that people want to join the bandwagon for? I, and I have an Audible subscription. We cover this for a living. And I don't know what yeah, people are you know, super... Maybe there's some that are super popular. I just don't I don't know. either. And I would love it if listeners are listening yeah. to shows on Audible and 
and willing to pay for this. It is interesting, I think, other po- podcasts produced by some of the other big networks are going to, be- ugh, excuse me, start becoming available on Audible, including some shows from Wondery. And mm. the ads are being stripped out of them for their appearance on Audible. Um, so that's a place where basically you will be paying a premium price for an ad-free experience, yeah. uh, which is, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know who the customer for this is. I I wonder slash hope that Audible has data that they're looking at about listener habits. Like, you know, I'm coming from the same position you are where I use my Audible credits, I listen to audiobooks, and then every now and then something has popped up as an intriguing Audible original Mm -hmm. or as a podcast. Um, Esther Perel has had a few really interesting ones that I've Mm. listened to, but I wouldn't pay $7.95 a month, like, just to get access to those. So, I don't know. From a from a premium content you can only get there, I think Luminary has a better lineup mm-hmm. of podcasts just looking at. Now, I haven't delved too deeply into this. Does this include the Audible originals and exclusives as part of this? I don't it, – it just feels like is this a – Audible is going to be competing for ear time against the uh, Spotify's and Luminaries and Apple Podcasts of the world and – Music and podcasts are way cheaper per minute for listeners yeah. than to buy an audiobook. And I think Audible's probably wrestling with that. Like an audiobook is a different value proposition. I get that. But does the, uh, it's sort of disrupted from below of podcasts when it comes to paying for audio in your ears, cause the, some pricing problems for um, audiobook publishers and distributors? Like it's been a real boon to the publishing industry and Audible itself is now a titan in the book world at, at writ large, do they have a disruption problem? You know, mm-hmm. they disrupted something, you know, they, 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 they have benefited from technological change, but they might be, you know, the next, I, I think there's a very possible world in which Spotify gets into the audiobook. I mean, mm-hmm. we, they, we know they have some audiobooks, but if they had an audiobook catalog that was even, you know, a, within, within shouting distance of Audibles, maybe... I wouldn't have an Audible account because I just pick the audiobooks out of there. Like if I'm Spotify, I see Audible's pricing premium as a real opportunity to take more ear share mm-hmm. away from, from, from them. And Audible has a problem along the waterfront, which is publishers are not interested in basically the cost per minute of production versus a podcast or streaming Pearl Jam records or something else that's been a million years. I, I think it's really interesting to see where the rubber is going to meet the road on minutes how much it costs to produce a minute of audio versus how much it costs, how much you can charge someone for it. And there, there's going to be a race towards a commodification mm-hmm. of the premium uh, subscription service as far as I Yeah, know. it's going to be really interesting. And I, I totally agree that if Spotify rolled out, you know, bump up your... Like I have premium Spotify. So if they bumped up mm-hmm. your premium Spotify, like pay an extra $10 a month for one audiobook or, mm. or an extra 15 a month for two audiobook credits, I would roll over right now. Like I'm just burning through yeah. back credits. That's really, it's a great You know, point. from Audible that like point. built up when I was, when I had an active subscription and now I have these credits to burn through that, mm. you know, there's nothing, there's no reason I wouldn't want to be consolidated into one place. And Spotify mm-hmm. is great and has so many other things now. Like, it would be interesting and for Spotify to get with like Libro FM and bring in some yeah. of that audiobook, yeah. um, the existing technology around distributing and making deals and all of that stuff, um, but not having to leave your 
one like I would like one place for my ears to go and it would be fine with me if that was Spotify for all things that I listen to yeah it'd be I mean Audible might might not mind if Spotify broke the existing um, audiobook royalty model because then they could compete on Mm. that base I think what if I'm Audible I'm worried that Spotify doesn't care about audiobooks I've got kind of a golden handcuffs of having to deal with publishers Mm -hmm. and authors and agents and their demands about prices for audiobooks and just watching the ear time erode, 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 erode into, into podcasts because, you know, people, you right now, in case you didn't know what you're doing, you're listening to a podcast. I love podcasts. Do I love it? What I, here's the thing. If I had to choose between giving up my audiobooks and giving up my podcast, what am I giving mm. up? The answer to me is pretty obvious. It's audiobooks because I can read in print. I can read in an ebook. Not everyone has that. I can't get my podcast in print or in some other form. I have to choose audio for that. So I think that presents a real problem for Audible. If if the market is, if they are operating within the same market, I think I could be convinced that they're actually fundamentally mm-hmm. different products. But I just kind of feel like it's not. Like YouTube competes with Netflix and competes with Hulu for, for video time. Yeah. Um, and I, I just feel like ultimately these are converging towards how and what people are listening to mm-hmm. when they're not doing other stuff and doesn't matter how much. And if you, if one is a lot cheaper to produce, then you've got higher profit margins or you can lower the price. Yeah. Um, which Spotify seems to have done. It sort of raises for me a secondary question too, about like long form nonfiction, especially that yeah, right. like, you know, there's a certain class of novel that would be way better if it had just lived its life as a long fiction piece in the New Yorker (laughs) (laughs) and the existence of those like long New Yorker fiction pieces is good and important. I think for the variety of art that gets made, there's a lot of nonfiction that can be broken out into, or could be broken out like rather than audiobook chapters into 15 or 30 minute podcast episodes. And instead of, you know, delivering your 400 page manuscript all at once, you produce a bunch of podcast episodes over the course of a year or two, like what the financial payoff for that would be versus getting a book deal. I don't know, but don't know. also getting a book deal is very hard. So not that having a hit podcast is not also hard and a total crap shoot. Like you're winning the lottery one way or the other, <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if either of those things becomes really big, but it seems to me like we could see a shift there. Um, right. In some of the right. more like conversational or, breakdownable, digestible nonfiction topics. Yeah, I think you're right. The plurality of form, like I think in audio content that's not music, we're kind of in a Cambrian explosion right now. I have been over the last five years of, I still think there are life forms to audio content that are undiscovered in in business models and everything else like that. We talked about, I think it was Scribd that they were going to do, like there was a Roxane Gay one, maybe Michael Lewis one, I can't really remember. Where it was like a novella length oh, right. nonfiction audio mm-hmm. or no, it was it was just text, I think. Maybe there was an audio version, I don't remember. Sort of realizing that there was a there's a, a wide middle ground in digital form around length. When you're trying to sell a book, like there's a certain I don't know, we don't get too many of those um I see it. I always think about it when I'm checking out or when I did in the, uh, the elder times <laughs> of uh, we should all be feminists, right? Like a very unusual okay. format. It was like eight bucks, it was like forty pages. Mm-hmm. And I think it succeeded despite not because of its form, but the form itself was interesting. We just don't see that for nonfiction, for other things like that. And it makes me wonder if really abstracting your content, like audio, you don't even have the physical representation of how long or short of it is. All you have is like the playtime, which is even more abstract. We're talking about this in the context of intimations by Zadie Smith, right? Like, what was that? (laughs) It's a short, not, I mean, that's a long 
narrative and, podcast series collected as yeah, one that I paid like, 15 bucks for? It seems sort of insane to yeah, say Yeah, frankly, way. if Zadie Smith had started a quarantine podcast and Ugh. once a week I got to hear her reflect on it for 10 minutes in the form of those essays, that would have been great. Mm. And I probably yeah. would have bought something that one of her sponsors advertised on the show. Mm. Like, you know, there would have yeah. been money there to be had that's not subscription money. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Really fascinating. Also, just um, let's go to the, um, let's put the dunce cap of naming on this. So Audible Plus, <laughs> you get less. <laughs> But I'm reading this right. Yeah, I I wonder maybe. Okay, yeah, cool. you are. I'm just making sure you are. I think <laughs> I was thinking about the same thing too. Like, there's already Audible Gold and Audible Platinum, and this costs less than either of those things. But you still want it to sound exciting. But no one wants to be like. In addition to Gold and Platinum, now you can get Bronze. Bronze, <laughs> right? Third place. <laughs> so I don't. know. I mean, not that I have a great idea for a name, but like. Legit, there's like it doesn't make any cognitive sense that Audible Plus is less than your. I just think with my Audible subscription, yeah. I don't even know what. Right, I have one yeah. credit a month. I, what is that one? I have no. That's idea. That's the gold plan. You can't go any sure. lower than gold. Can't go lower <laughs> than gold. The trophy, tro- trophy, trophy, participation trophy for being an Audible. My, Everyone gets gold. Uh, my eye rolly dad pitch for this is that they should have just called it Potable. Potable. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, I was thinking uh, Audible Cheapskate. That's sure. kind of what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Audible basic, audible basic. essentials. Oh, there essentials. you go. Essentials. Audible essentials. It's like no one wants to opt into basic, but. No, they don't. They really don't. Standard value. No, that's how it sounds like you're buying um, uh, ill-fitting underwear <laughs> from the Calvin Klein outlet. Not that I know anything about that. My, my underwear fits fine. Full, paid full price for these skivvies. Audible um, factory outlet. <laughs> audible outlet. Yeah. Audible. Let's be honest, Audible unlistened. You know, no one's listened to any of this stuff uh, at this point. All right, time for a sponsor. Okay. um, All right, and National Book Critic Circle. um, Boy, I'm surprised to see. I really am surprised to see that this broke down this way. I thought, okay, so what happened is the NBCC board brought on a whole bunch of new members, right? And uh, then they're going to have a vote about removing Carlin Romano, who wrote this email saying there's no white privilege in, in, in book reviewing, gatekeeping is false, and a bunch of stuff that I think most people who understand anything about race and privilege in America would say is um, codswallop, I believe was the word we That is use the technical term. Hogwash also, it. perhaps. Um, so there was a special vote after some um, quote-unquote discourse um, where they needed a two-thirds majority to vote him out. And no, they didn't. They needed... Oh, yeah, they did need a mm-hmm. two-thirds majority. Of the people who showed up, right. 72% voted to get him out. Of the people who voted by proxy, um, only 39% did. So the people voting to keep him didn't show up, which I think, I don't know, tells you. It feels like it tells me something, yeah. and I don't know what that is, but I don't like that. I don't like that the people that weren't in the room um, were were voting that particular way. I don't like that this whole thing went down this way. The other thing that happened, we got some reports, is all in the Publishers Weekly p- piece which we'll link to bookriot.com slash listen you can navigate to it there is that apparently there was a a, a email that he wrote that was confusing and looked like it might come from the board of the nbcc Mm -hmm. saying you know your your vote will be discoverable he threatened to sue some people for 
I don't know. Def, is it defamation to vote against someone? I don't really understand what's going yeah. on here. But just the threat of legal just, action is a problem in itself. This is super gross, super disappointing. Yeah. I think a real body blow to the continued relevance and existence of the National Book Critic Circle. That's where I am. I, I don't know what else to say. Super disappointing. I'm really surprised it broke down. Like it is super disappointing. And like the way that I said it on our Slack with our contributors is like, I think this means the NBCC is doomed. Like, I don't know I can't, I totally agree how you that. come back from this. Romano's position on the board is now secured until at least 2022. He's been on that board for freaking ever. So he might even get a chance to renew his term or, or stay even mm-hmm. longer than that. And it's, you know, I, the more that we are learning about this, the more that it sounds like Romano is a symptom and a problem, but not the cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. Like this is really structural. And one of the pieces that it's becoming clear, I think to me, that structural is in the leadership of the organization. Like David Varno, who's the president of the NBCC, spoke to Publishers Weekly about this. And like he acknowledges that like there were combative exchanges in this meeting, um, that the meeting ran a long time, that they were concerned they weren't going to get to the vote because people were talking for so long, um, and that he felt the outcome of the meeting was affected by Romano's efforts to sway fellow members. Like, the the board president whose job it is to manage that room was aware that these things were happening, but allowed the environment to remain combative and mm. colored with threats of retribution and litigation. And like there is that is not the only way that this could have gone. Um, I don't know what their personal interactions are like. I am sure that dealing with this is all deeply unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And Romano may have made, you know, threats to Varno as well. If he's threatening to sue everyone no. whose votes would be revealed in discovery, um, he has, you know, it's not out of the realm of believability that he also would have threatened folks on the board who supported or enabled his removal. Um, But I would think I would like to see some accountability from the leadership of the organization. Like you have a really tall hill to try to climb now in any kind of healing process for your divided membership, as Varno describes it. And some acknowledgement, like that's failure of leadership. Like it's not the same as the NBCC by any amount of size. Like I'm the board president of a nonprofit and there are that part of the responsibility is you're the grown up in the room. Like you're the last grown up in the room. Hopefully everyone is a grown up, but like it's your job to set the tone of the meeting and to hold people accountable for respectable behavior. Exchanges don't need to be combative. There's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for allowing someone to make those kinds of threats and then for the threats to be successful. Um, It it just seems like this is not a safe room for people to be in. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine how they're going to manage to maintain folks who recently joined the board, how they're going to maintain the folks who were on the board previously. Like, I hope that what will happen is that everyone who does not agree with Romano will immediately resign. And then he can sit in that room by himself with other people who agree with him and see how successful they are. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the bylaws are about being a member of the committee, but you would think if you had credible evidence that someone had threatened to sue a fellow member for a vote, that should be enough to remove them. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need a two-thirds majority to get this jerk yeah. out of here. I mean, theoretically, that is that would, again, I'm not running a nonprofit. Everyone has their reasons. There are constraints to everything. But if your organization cannot get rid of a member who's threatening to sue 
other people in the organization for voting on an open vote. I don't know what you have here. I don't know what there is to yeah. save internally. You have the brand National Book Critics Circle Award, which we were going back and forth a little bit in Slack about whether or not it matters. I think it matters to a degree more. Than, it's more. It's more than nothing, but it's not the Pulitzer Prize, right? It's not something like that. But that award, it goes back to 1978. You win that award. You, you know, it's career making in a lot of different ways. You're going to get another book deal. For example, if you're a mid-list other, you're going to get a very good shot at getting a tenured or full-time teaching position to help subsidize your other work. Generally, these are not people who are making a living from writing who care about the National Book Critics Circle Award, right. but it does matter. And we have so few of those kinds of stickers, you know, so few. Mm-hmm. It's like that. I mean, okay, so that gets on there, the push cart, Penn Faulkner, Pulitzer, Nobel, Oprah. Yeah. Maybe Reese now, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. Jenna Hager today. So we've got like six or seven of them. And books need whatever they can to elevate, especially a literary award. The, the, these are critics. This is not, say what you want about Reese, she picks really good books, but she's not picking the books that the National Book Critics Circle Award are giving for poetry. She's just not. Morgan Parker won this last year. That's a really important mm-hmm. voice. It's a great award. And it's a real cry and shame that, but for the lack of whatever that was needed here, there's a, I think there's a really good chance we're going to lose this. And yeah. Carolyn Kellogg, as mentioned in the piece, is tweeting about if you're interested in to sort of a, you know, alternative, you know, maybe maybe some other thing will rise out of the ashes of this, which would be great. But, you know, we know from the Dayton Literary Prize, that thing is a huge award. You get a half million bucks, and only you and I mm-hmm. and, like, the people have wanted have heard of it. It's just really hard to create this kind of... It, no, I'm not it, kidding. No, no, like, I'm not really laughing. It is. It's really hard to create it. And even, like, you know, the alternative Nobel stuff that we saw last year, like, that was yeah. a great grassroots effort and a really creative take on it but it it's not going to have nearly the impact of a nobel but it's gone right and it's gone like it's yeah, it's yeah. really hard to come back from something like this and yeah this is probably structural turtles all the way down like if the bylaws yeah. are not written in a way that allow you to address a problem like this then a, a board president's hands are tied and that's also yeah a really right. like that's also a really big issue because members of a board of any organization like their first job is to ensure the sustainability of the organization like you're you know mm-hmm. through you have fiduciary responsibility and you're accountable for the decisions that you make to you know have the organization continue to exist after you are no longer present right, and right. none of these actions support that threatening to sue other board members like first of all there's just deep and delicious irony in Romano's insistence on open discourse and then complete inability to tolerate being criticized it's like a very familiar old white guy flavor of that mm-hmm. but it's you have to tolerate my intolerance yeah, it's that old thing right, again yeah. right? I mean that's what it is uh, whatever is going on here at NBCC, like if there's any chance of anything, they are going to have to look at bylaws and get some things rewritten so that action can be taken in a swifter manner than having to accumulate a bunch of your membership, not just your board, but your membership to take a vote Mm -hmm. about the existence of board members and some uh, like baseline definitions of decorum and what's acceptable behavior in that room. Um, Who wants to join an organization when this is the public description of what it's like when a meeting has contention like you're supposed to be making hard decisions you don't need to be yelling at each other about them yeah it's too bad i mean looking at the i was looking at the winners earlier today and finalists uh, and just saying like do they have an award an awarding problem when it comes to historically marginalized voices um and i didn't get too far but just looking at 2019 it's a wonderful lineup edwidge dondekat mm-hmm. for fiction um chanel miller for 
autobiography, Morgan Parker for poetry, Saida Hartman for criticism, which is a really great book. If you're in Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments, Intimate Histories of Social Upheaval, it came out from Norton. I really liked that book last year. And The Yellow House by Sarah Broom. Um, it's a really, like, this is, this is a great list to award. And that something is rotten in the state of Denmark here is too bad for a lot of different rais- reasons because I think to tear down this house needs to be teared down. I think mm-hmm. that's true. But the house that's gonna it's gonna be so hard to build a house on the same piece of land that does the same work. Yeah. In the consciousness around books and reading, um, so I don't know. I'm not saying I, I, I'm ultimately not saying I think it should be tried to be saved. I guess I'm just sort of lamenting that this is the place where this this story ended up. Yeah. Nobody's happy that this is the way no. that. It went, but at this point, yeah, I think the house, the only real option is tear the house down and try to start over from a better place. Um, there's a, tw- mm. a Twitter thread that we can link to also where Roxane Gay lays out that Roman, like Romano denies making any threats or intimidation because of course he does. Um, but she lays out that he said that votes would be discoverable in court proceedings and implied that he would sue people who voted against him. Um, and Roxane Gay notes in this thread, like she's one of the few people in the NBCC who's mm-hmm. in the position of like, if he did sue her, she would be able to afford the lawsuit mm-hmm. and fight it and probably hire a better lawyer. And that's why these threats are so successful, even though they sound like BS, is that just the possibility, like if you're an average rank and file member of the NBCC, like you're a book critic, you don't, you're a book critic, you're not making the bank <laughs> no. to pay for a lawyer just to get to the the settlement part of making the threat of a lawsuit go away. Like Romano's not going to end up in court over any of this, but these kinds of threats exist to get people to comply with you because they don't have the money to fight you if you take the first step. And right. apparently he's willing to invest in taking that first step. Um, or he wants or us all to believe that he to would take be. The best right. Step. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. 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 So a, a super a super disappointing turn of events. And I've got to say, I thought it was almost a fait accompli once they added new members and they, they said they were going to have a vote. I I would have taken really long odds that they were going to get this guy. I, I really am surprised to see that the board, again, two-thirds is a high bar. And frankly, after 2016, I should not be surprised <laughs> that there's a larger section that disagrees me on a variety of things. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave it at that. But I really am surprised that, that, that they didn't vote to get him like, out. I really am surprised, Rebecca. Like, I'm genuinely surprised. Well, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I really am. I don't know the specifics of how, like, proxy votes are arranged for the NBCC, but it's interesting that Romano delivered 25 of the proxy votes himself. Um, like 25. That is weird. I don't, That's so weird. Yeah, I just have lots of question marks about yeah. that. Uh, it's... <laughs> So he like went to his friend's like, house. Like he's right. like, I'll come out and get your vote. Yeah. Like or like he emailed them. And also and, let me see your vote. And right. also, by the way, these are discoverable like, in court, friend. Yeah. Like, what is that? Yeah. Like the Venn diagram of people who voted to save him and people who signed the Harper's letter is a circle. <laughs> <sighs> by the way, this is all speculation. We have no first hand knowledge of any of this. Uh, this is all opinion. <laughs> if you're listening out there. Disclaimer, 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 disclaimer. Disclaimer, 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 all the disclaimers all the way down. Another fun story. 
Well, why don't you take this one? You okay. Take this one, tell you know, one the quick. context of this story is not great, but the outcome so far, the response mm. to it at least, I think, is um, a member of the Board of Trust- Trustees of the Fairfax County Library, which is in Northern Virginia here near D.C., um, made critical comments about books that are on display and being featured as titles in the library's catalog under um, under categories like Muslim writers, LGBTQ writers, Black Lives Matter, um, saying that he's upset to see those because we should also then be highlighting books by Catholic writers, Mormon writers, Jewish writers, Baptist writers, and that it's very upsetting to see a category called dismantling systemic racism. Uh, Because, Mm. quote, this is the most predictable quote, maybe in the history of this podcast. If we're going to put those in, then there ought to be some books to tell the other side. We're changing the history of America here in the library, which is supposed to be non-partial, is doing this. Um, Why don't we have some White Lives Matter documentaries is also a question that this person asked. However, the response has been attempts to oust him from the board, which may your efforts succeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fairfax County Library, Board of Trustees, and whoever gets to vote in relation to that. Um, it feels encouraging to see the tide turning into a recognition that this is not a neutral expression of speech, um, especially in relation to books and reading, that encouragement of seeing both sides is not like it's not a valid argument here when what we're talking about is fundamentally the acknowledgement that one side has been told since the beginning of american history and now we're exploring other sides (laughs) and yeah why aren't there any white lives matters books in library Look at all of the just like right. I'm just like all of vaguely waving at the Western canon, you know. (laughs) Like when March rolls around and it's Women's History Month, this guy is definitely wondering where is the celebration of men. Like it's it's just an almost willfully obtuse misunderstanding of what this movement and what this moment are actually about, Um, Mm -hmm. and. That kind of thinking has no place in the institutions that are supposed to represent all of America and present American history and make information accessible to everyone who lives here and to represent their communities. The Washington, D.C. area is very diverse. Fairfax County, you know, definitely has black people and gay people and Mm -hmm. Muslim people who live there. And those folks deserve to have access to books about themselves and their communities not to mention that everyone else benefits from that like we all know this right um Mm -hmm. but i'm happy to see that the response um is this attempt now to you know have him removed from the board so maybe this can go better than what's happened for the nbcc i've got one more uh, may your efforts succeed that's not on the agenda i do we get out on this too I uh, got an email. Um, I'm not sure if they're a listener or not. Maybe it was a PR pitch. If not, you you hit the right demo or the, you hit the right per, the person because this is really cool. The, the organization is new. It's a new nonprofit called Pride and Less Prejudice. Oh, that's a good name. Which is a nonprofit name. that provides free age-appropriate LGBTQ-inclusive books to classrooms from pre-K to third grade. Nice. So they just launched a campaign video. I'll link that up in the show notes. But they've got some testimonials and support from... Adam Rapon, Tignataro, you know, various people who are interested um, in supporting LGBTQ issues, LGBTQ people, and kids especially. 
Um, they've raised some, you know, they, they just started, so they're, they've donated some books in 20 different states and several Canadian provinces. Um, their goal is to raise 10,000 bucks, and they want to use that to do- donate 800 LBGQ-inclusive books to classrooms in the U.S. and Canada. I would assume this is awesome. that they wouldn't mind doing more than that if they, if they got more than that. So um, on Facebook, there the URL is prideandlessprejudice.org. You can find them at Less Prejudice on Twitter, Instagram, Pride and Less Prejudice. And as I said, I'll put a link in the show notes to their organization. Um, you know, this is one of those situations where we talk about LBT books getting banned in libraries or otherwise mm-hmm. marginalized. I don't know how hard it is to fight for um, money to, to, to buy the mm. books, right? I mean, I don't know where, where in the budgeting process do, do libraries have to get approval, but at the very least... They're saying, all right, we're going to take one more barrier away from getting books into the hands of kids of all kinds, but especially LBTQ plus families, kids, questioning kinds of people who will benefit. All of us would benefit from reading these earlier, some more than others, depending on where you are and who you are. Um, But thanks so much, um, Becca, for for emailing. May your efforts succeed. That's prejudice.org. That's awesome. The website looks great. Yeah. So, all right. That's our show. All right. Is it? I think. Is that our show? Yeah. Do we have anything else? No, that's our show. We'll go out on a note of hopeful encouragement. Good places to put your money. That's a great title. That's a great name. One of the best names. Pride and less prejudice. It's really long time. It's really smart. Great, (laughs) great name. Not that it matters. You know what? You you know what? I hope Audible Plus is listening. (laughs) And uh, if you need a job in branding, and also like because Audible Plus is garbage, and this is wonderful. I hope that the Pride and Less Prejudice folks take that and like issue an anthology under that name of queer writers. Oh, yeah, and a bunch of other things. It's a good. That's good. It's very smart. A plus. My hat Mm. is off. All right, Rebecca, I'll talk to you next week for deals, deals, deals. I'm oh, so excited. Man, I've I... got such weird and wonderful <laughs> books to, to, to throw at you. I couldn't be happier to hear that description. <laughs> I, I thought about one segment. Tell me if you like this or not. Whereas I, I take some real, I mix in. Um, <laughs> like, and we'll, we'll talk, is this a real book or not a real book? Two pitch? truths and a lie, but book pitches. Yeah, and, the, and so I'll, I'll read you two, and you have to pick which one of them is real and which one I've made up. I'm as a into book that. that. A book yes, deal. let's do it it's gonna be hard i think not for me i can write a fake book pitch it's gonna be hard do you think you'll be do better than 50 percent Ooh, i hope that i will do better than 50 percent because of like knowing your voice pretty well <laughs> there you go okay all right i see you think you've seen my inside my matrix i hear that okay, i hear what you're saying but maybe not would you sign for 50 percent would you would you sign for being good as a coin yes Okay. All right. That's fair. I would too, because I'm terrified of this sort of thing. <laughs> I feel like I go into it overconfident and just fall on my face. Well, we can, maybe I'll make up some fake book pitches too. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it too. If you want to, you want to throw it right back at me. All right. That was fun, Rebecca. As always, you can find show notes, bookriot.com slash listen. Choose an email at podcast at bookriot.com. Especially if you're a Norwegian librarian who knows about how to s- repel into <laughs> libraries and steal books. I feel like we should just maybe give up our seats and let Nora take over. Look, I'm looking for, I didn't know we had an Oslonian, Oslon, I don't know, that's a a Norwegian librarian, can I get more specific, and a a Norwegian librarian with knowledge of like, um, let's say, uh, underhand removal of objects, (laughs) or overhand, whatever, whatever way to remove them, I don't care. All right, y'all.